This is Docera Digest Podcast, breaking down health concepts. This podcast is brought to you by Docera Life Center. This innovative clinic is finding new solutions to the evolving challenges mankind faces in the 21st century. By utilizing cutting-edge technology and testing, they find root causes and also offer treatment with energy and nutrition. What is the mission? To dynamically change lives for the better while impacting families for generations. The information shared directly or indirectly in the Docera Digest podcast is not to be understood as or misconstrued as medical advice. This information is not a replacement for your current health provider who is acutely aware of your current health state and course of treatment. Any information shared about a product or service discussed by any host or guest on this podcast is not to be interpreted as a doctor-patient relationship. Welcome back to Docera Digest. We are on episode five of our epigenetic series. Today we're going to be talking about morphology and adaptability. So I'm Dr. Craig. I'm going to open up and talk about the difference between polymorphism, mutation, and adaption. Then Dr. Ben's going to follow up with DNA repair. Dr. Caleb's going to follow up with autophagy. Dr. Kyson's going to tell us all about mTOR. And Dr. Luke's going to finish it with energy production. So, you've heard us talk a lot in this series about SNPs, which is single nucleotide polymorphism. What exactly is a polymorphism? Well, if you take the word and you break it down, poly means many and morph means change. So, therefore, a polymorphism is basically just many changes. And how does that differ from mutation and adaption? So, here's what's interesting. If you look up mutation... Mutation is a change in the structure of the gene. So I'm hearing a common theme here. And then adaption is basically a reaction or an adaptive change to the genetic makeup. So what's really the difference here? What I think the big difference is, is what's causing it and what the um, significance and change is for. We've talked about how viruses and virions and other Microbes can get in and actually mutate and change the DNA. We all know that in cancer cells, the cells have been mutated. So what's the difference between that and an adaptive change? So when people get in different areas or cultures, we know over time their actual genetic makeup and heritage can change in adaption to either foods, culture, uh, environmental factors, and those type of things. So from my perspective, it's really a difference between cause and effect and causing the effect. So it's really what the cell and the body does with the change more than the change itself. So with that in mind, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually pass this on to Dr. Ben with a question and say, how does the cell know when to repair and when to keep the change? Thanks, Dr. Craig. So since I'm going to talk about how we repair our DNA, I thought it best that before we understand how that, we must first understand what damage is actually being done to our DNA. Now, we know that human DNA is damaged by environmental factors from UV and ionization, uh, radiation, chemical agents, chemical frequencies, and even the normal metabolic processes of our cells, as well as the mitochondria inside the cell. What most people do not know is that these factors can cause damages which occur at a rate of over 10,000 to 1 million molecular lesions per cell per day. Think about that. 
and you wonder why we age and why things happen and how our DNA gets damaged. So the first aspect for me of DNA repair is to identify the types of DNA damage that we are being exposed to and then to focus on how to repair the damage that is being done. So here are seven specific things that we know can cause the most damage to our DNA. Number one, the sun does the most damage to our DNA. UV rays can cause up to 100,000 lesions per exposed cell per hour of exposure. So the first thing we need to do to repair is to protect ourselves and reduce exposure. If you're going to be in the sun a lot, then wear clothing that blocks UV rays and use appropriate sunscreen lotions. Also remember that the most of the damage is being done in our younger years when we were out there in the sun when we are still developing our DNA strands. Number two, oxidative damage. Intracellular reactive oxygen species, which we call oxygenation free radicalization, causes DNA modifications and the formation of lesions, which can be toxic and or mutagenic. This is caused by the lack of proper exhale breathing, which is what eradicates the ROS, and specifically exposure to first, second, and third-hand smoke is the major cause. Also, glutathione is the master antioxidant that we need, so if we are deficient in this area, taking certain forms of glutathione may be very beneficial. Number three, alkylation of the DNA. What in the world is that? Alkylating agents are specific chemicals in the environment, and they are produced within the body during normal metabolism. Now, when I say metabolism, let's think about digestibility in this case, because some people have trouble breaking them down, and if they do, it will cause mutations to the DNA. Also, things like excessive smoking, drugs, and even alcohol increases this issue. So most alkylating agents are extremely toxic, and some of them are even used as a form of chemotherapy. So specific protein enzymes are needed for proper DNA repair of this specific issue. Number four is the hydrolysis of the DNA. Hydrolysis is important in how our body breaks down food into smaller beneficial components. A deficiency in water, and therefore a hydrogen, weakens our DNA strands that will be broken apart and can cause mutational damage. This further affects the digestive process in the stomach and the bowels that will ultimately affect the circulation, the lungs, and the kidneys. All of this just to make a person more susceptible to DNA damage and the lack of repairability. What do we need? Water and enzymes are needed here for repair. Number five, bulky adduct formation. When we are exposed to specific aromatic compounds or chemicals, it creates the formation of bulky cells that come together and can create mutated cells that can activate a precancer cell state. These carcinogens require very specific enzymes to counteract the process and repair that DNA damage. Number six, DNA crosslinking. This is both a blessing and a curse. When you have damaged or weakened DNA strands, the DNA is broken down into mutated state because the repairability of the DNA is really trying to correct itself. With too much sugar, Lack of water, eating foods that are damaged to yourself, this will weaken the cross-linking ability and result in modified strands of your DNA. If this condition continues over the decades, you'll be developing DNA strands that produce more mutated genomes than any healthy ones. Once again, to repair it, you need to exercise, have mobility, move about, drink more water, have a proper diet, take enzymes. And number seven is the DNA strand breaks. Here we're looking at both single-strand and double-strand breaks, meaning that something is ripping or tearing the DNA apart, kind of like a zipper separates material, brings it back together. 
Even though this is a normal part of developing and repairing process of the DNA, if we are repeatedly exposed to previous adaptions and mutations, then this will negatively affect the repair process of our DNA. DNA strand breaks are caused by too much oxygenation, refined sugars, and exposure to UV rays, and as well as chemicals and smoking. So in conclusion, DNA repair is actually a collection of many different processes by which a cell identifies and tries to correct the damage to the DNA of that cell. And the rate of DNA repair is dependent upon many different factors, including the cell type, the age of the cell, and the internal environment. We also know how the seven different types of DNA damage can inhibit a cell's ability to carry out its normal function. And when the normal repair, repair process fails, this can increase the likelihood of mutated or reactionary adaption of the DNA, which can cause irreparable DNA damage, which will cause altered DNA structures that can eventually lead to autoimmune diseases, tumors, or cancers. So here's my takeaway. Make sure that you eat the right type of food for your system and remove the addictive and harmful substances like too much processed sugars. Drink the average amount of water that your body needs. Get the appropriate amount of mobility or exercise or movement. Avoid smoking, tobacco, and too much alcohol. Get the appropriate amount of sleep that your body requires. Eat plenty of proteins and make sure you take the three keys that every single cell needs. Number one, enzymes, which help accelerate repairing the DNA. Number two, vitamin D3 which turns on all production and function, functionality of the cells. And number three, vitamin B complex would be 6, 9, and 12, which is needed for every cell to function and repair itself. And now with that, let's turn this over to Dr. Caleb so he can explain what autophagy really is. Dr. Caleb? All right. Thanks, Dr. Ben. So what is autophagy? Autophagy is a word that basically means self-eating or self-devouring. This term was coined by Nobel Prize winner Christian de Duve in 1963. He also discovered the lysosome, which is an organelle that contains enzymes, which will break down other cellular components that are brought inside of it. If we looked at the cell as a body, the lysosome would be similar to the stomach. The lysosome is the endpoint of autophagy, so self-eating is a good meaning for it. Autophagy is essentially the way for the body to recycle cellular products. So think of it as the custodian crew for the cell. When cellular components become defective, your body will use autophagy to break them down or disassemble them into building blocks such as lipids and carbohydrates. These will then be used when creating new components. Any parts that are too damaged or unusable will instead be discarded by the cell. So autophagy starts with the formation of a membrane or wall which will approach the components that need to be broken down. The membrane will then start to wrap around those components and expand and elongate as necessary to be able to fully close around them. This becomes <clears throat> known as the autophagosome, which then fuses which, with a lysosome, which contains enzymes that will break down the components. So autophagy is important for keeping the cell clean and functional, but also help prevent DNA damage, like Dr. Ben was talking about. And it also has other benefits, including promoting healthy weight loss and insulin sensitivity, reducing inflammation and oxidative stress, and helping the immune system function, especially by destroying pathogens such as virus or bacteria that enter the cell. So how can we cause or stimulate autophagy? Autophagy occurs due to a lack of necessary nutrients or when damage occurs to the cell. Nutrient deficiency may occur due to a diet, such as a keto diet or calorie-restricted diet, or from fasting. Um, it may take up to 24, even 48 hours of fasting before autophagy can start, though. 
Um, autophagy can also regulate your hunger hormones, which is one of the reasons why reduced appetite is a sign of autophagy occurring. This is why when you're fasting, it may start to seem easier the longer you stick with it. Damage to the cell can occur in many ways, but we can intentionally induce autophagy with long-term resistance or strength training. Exercising in the morning before breaking your overnight fast can also stimulate autophagy even further. So dysfunctions in autophagy can be correlated with many conditions such as uh, Crohn's disease, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, and more. Since we are discussing epigenetics, let's look briefly at some genetic components related to autophagy. There are actually a large number of genes that are specifically involved that are simply called autophagy-related genes or ATGs. There are over 40 of these that are currently recognized, and these primarily coordinate the formation and sealing of the autophagosomes and are thus essential for autophagy. A complex of ULK1, ULK2, and ATG13 are used as well as RB1CC1 and FIP200 to induce the, or initiate the whole process. Transcription factor NFE2L2 can regulate the expression and formation of ATGs, which again will lead to um, being able to form those autophagosomes. There also seems to be a synergistic effect between the KEEP1 and NRF2 pathway and autophagy regarding the neutralization of damaged or misfolded protein accumulations. So another gene that plays a part in regulating autophagy is the mTOR gene. I'll go ahead and turn it over to Dr. Kyson to talk about that more. Awesome. All right, so mTOR, which is mammalian target of rapamycin. So let me go over kind of a basic concept of it first, and then we'll get into a little bit more of the sciencey bit. So mTOR controls the growth and production or your synthesis of protein in various types of cells, including muscle cells, so muscle fibers, so you can get the big pump. The enlargement of the muscle fibers of the hypertrophy relies on mTOR signaling. It therefore plays an important role in muscle gains. So for all you guys trying to get bulked up out there, mTOR is important. So what I like to do is let me break down this concept to make it kind of easier for you. Um, autophagy is like a cleaning crew, the custodial crew coming in and cleaning things up. So maintenance. So when a building's starting to break down or needs help or whatever else it's going to go through and clean everything up. In that case, what happens is you have to get everybody out of the building to do it. And that's kind of what we do when we get into an autophagy state is we're clearing everything else out of the way so we can go through and get stuff cleared out. So this is why like long distance runners with uh, deprivation of oxygen kicks on autophagy. And this is why they start to lose muscle mass. They start to burn through it all. They start to use it up in autophagy. And so when you're in that state, it's hard for you to build muscle. And so you're kind of in two opposite sides here. You can't really have a cleaning crew coming through while you're trying to build new buildings or do stuff like that and vice versa. You can't be building and creating a mess in the process of cleaning everything up. So they're kind of two opposite states here. So we found that um, in the, probably the last 10, 20 years that they've really started changing the way distance runners are actually training. So when they're not actually out running, they're actually out trying to build muscle back up because when they're losing that muscle, they're not just losing biceps and quads and everything else. It's also affecting the heart too. They started seeing those causing a lot of heart disease. So we want to make sure that if you are in an autophagy state, that you get back into an mTOR state so you can do that balance. It's that yin and yin and yang that we need there to build a run through that. So 
not to get too sciencey because this can get pretty deep here. But when we have issues with mTOR, we'll see things that'll show up as like uh, pathogenesis of lung fibrosis. There's also cancer cells that are being proliferated due to glucose metabolism issues. We also see things that happen when we're dealing with hepatocellular carcinoma, diabetes, a lot of these other things can actually be things that start to become more of an issue when mTOR isn't working correctly. So we can't uh, manage the sugar, the materials that need to come in to rebuild these muscles properly. And so everything kind of gets into chaos there. So having autophagy is really important because we need to clean things up. It's good, especially when you do fasting. It allows your body to go through and say, okay, well, this bit of this part and this machinery isn't ver working very well. We're going to break that down, get rid of it, and make space for new things to be built and brought in and take over and rebuild and heal ourselves. So when we look at this, this is a big part of the aging as well. I mean, if you can't clean up the old stuff and get it out of there that's not functioning well, and we can't go in and rebuild it, we're going to have trouble and we're going to start aging faster. So we start breaking down. Just like in a factory, if you can't get people in to fix machinery when it's breaking down, the assembly line starts slowing down and the product goes out slower and slower, and then our body starts to break down quicker and quicker. So that's all I'm going to say on mTOR. There's a whole lot here. Um, I just didn't want to bore you with it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Awesome. Thanks, Dr. Kyson. Yep. So I want to talk about energy, specifically two genes, uh, AMPK and SIRT3 uh, or SIRT3. So let's get technical first. AMPK is a master sensor of energy status within our cells. Uh, activation or upregulation of AMPK may be a good way to help one lose weight. Uh, balance your lipoproteins or your cholesterol, and support healthy blood sugar levels. AMPK basically monitors energy, like I said, and is activated when ATP, which is our body's fuel, when ATP production decreases. Because AMPK increases uh, both fatty acid synthesis and breakdown, researchers are currently investigating if it's a good possible way for helping support one with weight loss. AMPK also inhibits a molecule called HMG-CoA reductase, which influence cholesterol synthesis. Switching over to SIRT3, SIRT3 is upregulated when there is an increase in what's called oxidative stress. And Dr. Kyson talked a lot about this in the previous episode with regards to peroxynitrite, which is AKA the gorilla in the room. And think of free radical stress as uh, basically a meteor shower to your cells. There's always somewhat of uh, free radicalization or oxidative stress, but it's when it gets out of control when it becomes a problem. But again, when there is an increase in free radical oxidative stress, SIRT3 is upregulated, which works in tandem with AMPK to support energy levels and autophagy. So that's the technical side. What's the take home? Well, if we run a genome analysis or test uh, our genome kits uh, and a patient has SNPs or variants within these genes and happens to struggle with fatigue or low energy levels, it could be of benefit to help support or upregulate these genes via the usage of things like enzymes between meals, as Dr. Bauer said, uh, to support liver health and repairability, SOD or superoxide dismutase and catalase to help with free radical oxidative stress, and mitochondrial nutrients to help the mitochondria run optimally and crank out ATP like clockwork. And then lastly, to support liver detoxification. As always, it's going to depend on the unique needs of the patient and what works best for him or her. With that, that concludes my segment. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to add? Right on. All right. Well, with that, that concludes episode five of our epigenetic series. Please join us next time where we will wrap up this epigenetic series by talking about brain health and neuroplasticity. Thank you and God bless.
Thank you for listening to the Docera Digest podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find all the episodes and show notes over at doceralifecenter.com. While you're on the website, also be sure to check out the blog where you'll find videos and articles to help you proactively rebalance your health.